Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Superchargers, headlights, and more with over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The volume. This is boxing with Chris Manning. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. And welcome back. Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network, Colin Cowherd's Podcast Network. We have a lot of news to get into this week. Ryan Garcia has a new trainer. Regis Progre has a new promoter. We're going to look back on William Zapata's dominant win and uh, Zapata's place in the 135-pound division. Look ahead to the return of Canelo Alvarez, who is coming off a major injury, surgery, to take on John Ryder in a homecoming fight in Guadalajara, Mexico. I'll be down there uh, broadcasting that fight uh, for zone. Corey Erdman is going to join me to talk about all those things uh, on the show. A little bit later on, Katie Taylor, the undisputed 135-pound champion. She's got a big fight coming up on May 20th against Chantel Cameron. Katie's going to tell me uh, just how she is feeling right now about her homecoming, going back to Ireland, fighting at Three Arena in front of, I think, 13,000, 14,000 fans. But it's going to feel like 30, and the crowd outside is going to be wild as well. It's going to be a scene for Katie Taylor in her first fight as a professional in Ireland when she fights for the Undisputed Championship at 140 pounds. That's going to come up a little bit later in the show. So May is a huge month for boxing. You've got Canelo Alvarez, John Ryder, KSI against Joe Fournier, Devin Haney against Vasily Lomachenko for all the belts at 135. Pay-per-view is always a solid option, but I promise you, there is nothing better than being in person for these title bouts. And I want to introduce you to a new partner of the show who can help get you there. Game Time is the fastest-growing ticketing app in the U.S., with tickets on everything from premier boxing matches to the NBA and the NHL playoffs to MLB regular season, Game Time has tickets to it all, even concert and comedy shows. So download the Game Time app and redeem code MANIX for $20 off your first purchase. Terms, of course, always apply. Again, download the Game Time app and enter code MANIX. That's M-A-N-N-I-X for $20 off. No matter where you live, get out and have some fun this week. Download the Game Time app today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Corey Erdman is here, BoxingScene.com, broadcaster over at DAZN, amongst other places. Probably the busiest guy in the business right now. He was calling a DAZN show on Thursday last week. He called another one on Saturday. He's going to be calling the undercard of the Canelo Alvarez-John Ryder fight uh, on Saturday, uh, this Saturday coming up as well. Corey, you must have a lot of uh, international names in your head and a lot of factoids in your head that uh, you have been eager to just get out. Oh, of course. Well, and I must say, though, like it is tricky sometimes when you're calling two fights in three days. You start to confuse fighters in your brain, and it can get a little bit tricky. But uh, I think I think I got out unscathed. I, I didn't refer to any fighter as anyone else's name. So I think I did all right. 
Yeah, you go from the Mongolian on the Lou DiBella card to uh, a lot of Mexicans on the Canelo Alvarez card. So it's yeah. uh, quite the pivot you're making there, Corey. But uh, we certainly appreciate your time here. Um, let's start with Ryan Garcia. Uh, it has been less than two weeks since Ryan Garcia took the first loss of his career, a knockout loss to Tank Davis. That fight was enormously successful in terms of you know revenue-generated pay-per-view buys, there have been reports that exceeded 1 million buys. You know, that would put the money that Ryan Garcia would earn at well over $10 million, probably closer to 20 and Tank Davis even more per terms of the contract. Just a success in every possible way, except that Ryan Garcia lost and he was dominated and he got knocked out. So Ryan Garcia has responded by firing Joe Goosen as his head trainer. Now, this came out about a week or so after the fight. What I was told, Corey, was this decision was made pretty quickly, that you know, in the immediate aftermath, as late as Monday of uh, the weekend after the fight, that Ryan Garcia had decided to go in a different direction. Uh, what do you make of this? You know, it's a three-fight partnership between Ryan Garcia and Joe Goosen that ultimately now has come to an end. Yeah, I, I thought, you know, when they got together and in, in watching their relationship, it's, you know, to the point that it ended, that that it was a good match. Like, I, I have always found... Goosen to be um, a a good communicator in the corner, but also a a soft and empathetic one. And I think for Ryan Garcia, I found that that was going to be a good fit. This is this is not a knock on Ryan Garcia, but he's had you know well documented struggles with his mental health, and I never thought that kind of a, a drill sergeant type coach would necessarily fit him, and especially not. Uh, when you're dealing with a fighter who is immensely popular and has options, you know, any trainer in the world uh, would probably love to train Ryan Garcia, not just because of his skills, but because of the payday that they would earn, uh, you know, with their 10% of what he's going to bring home. But I just, I thought that it was a good mix. I thought that Goosen was giving him good instructions, but ultimately they weren't ones that Ryan listened to in that fight. And that's that's by his own admission, right? Like Ryan, by his own admission, lost his concentration in that fight, did the wrong things round after round, was kind of bouncing between strategies, uh, and ultimately wound up getting knocked out. Now, maybe even if he follows the best strategy that Goosen had had laid out for him, maybe it winds up being the same result. I don't know. But for one reason or another, he wasn't listening to those instructions. Now, that may be Goosen's fault. That may be Ryan's fault and and him just saying, hey, this just doesn't work for me. So if Ryan has decided that this isn't a man that I'm going to listen to, then I guess it is the right decision. But it, it, it is a surprising one for me because I did feel that the communication style that Goosen has was right for him. But perhaps he does need someone who's a little bit sterner, who is going to ensure that he doesn't go off the path and can stick to the script, so to speak, throughout the fight. But uh, yeah, it, it's a surprising one. But if he decides that I, I'm not going to listen to my coach, then I guess you need a new coach. Yeah, I mean, you just watched that fight. And beyond the strategy, I mean, Ryan Garcia has some flaws to his game. You know, when he threw that left hook and missed, he was often way out of position. And that's something that needed to be cleaned up. Um, I don't know what happened in his camp when it comes to him getting hurt. You've heard a lot of things in the aftermath about a body shot that injured him. You saw on the Showtime All Access when Joe Goosen asked Ryan Garcia about the, the knockout punch. He said, did it hit that spot on the rib? Uh, you know, which you know, pretty clearly indicates that there was some kind of previous injury that occurred uh, during training camp. Um, I want to be respectful of Joe Goosen here because I do like him. He's obviously an accomplished trainer, terrific, has had some great fighters over the years. I just think that Joe Goosen was maybe too much of a fan of Ryan Garcia. I mean, I go back to when I wrote the first profile of Ryan back in 2020 for Sports Illustrated, and Joe wasn't associated with him back then. But Joe was one of the first guys I called because he had worked with Ryan during his amateur days, and I think very early in his pro career. Not officially, but you know, Ryan had been in his gym and they'd worked together. And Joe just gushed over him, lavish praised on him, thought he was going to be one of the all-time greats. I think he even said to me, he's like, Ryan Garcia will retire undefeated. Uh, so he came he came into this partnership bullish on Ryan Garcia and really believing that, and Joe has kind of said as much, that he just needed to be kind of fine-tuned, that it, Joe needed to be there 
to enhance what Ryan Garcia already does. When the reality is, what Ryan needs more than anything is to kind of be broken down a little bit and to have some things added to his game. I mean, it's no it's no secret. His footwork isn't very good. Like, he is a flat-footed fighter. That's what he's always been. Now, I don't know if you can all of a sudden turn him into Pernell Whitaker with the right coach, but I do think that another coach could drill down on that and change that a little bit. Uh, so, I, I, I'm gonna, it's my way of saying I think this is a reasonable move made by Ryan Garcia with the caveat that it it matters who he chooses next. Like, if he decides, and I don't think he's going to go this way, but if he decides, like, look, my dad was my first coach, he's going to be my trainer for the next couple of fights. That's a mistake. You know, Henry is a fine coach, a fine person, but even Henry knew several years ago that he had taken Ryan as far as he could. That's why they joined up with Eddie Reynoso and, you know, formed that partnership with Team Canelo. So if he, if he does something like that where he takes on a coach that is more of a fan of his than one that is eager to change him and, you know, iron out some of the bad habits, the, the, the rough edges that he has, then it would be a mistake. You know, then I don't think those coaches are any better than, than Joe Goosen. I'm also not convinced, like, it's been some speculation, like, could he reunite with, you know, Team Canelo, go back to Eddie Reynoso? I, I don't know. Like, putting aside the bad blood that exists there, not just between Ryan and Eddie Reynoso, but Ryan and Canelo Alvarez, who calls all the shots up there at, um, at, at, with Team Canelo. Uh, I, I don't know that Eddie Reynoso is the right coach for him. Eddie Reynoso did a fine job with him in terms of helping him become, I think, a better inside fighter. But you look at Canelo's skills. Footwork's not really one of them, right? Like, he's, he, he's, got, he's smart with his feet, but he's not necessarily nimble with his feet. He hunts you down. He has great head movement, great reflexes, great defense. Um, so I don't know if he's the right guy. I, I just think he needs to be with a coach that, you know, is going to tell him that there are things he does wrong and there are things he needs to clean up and to fix. Now, Sergio Mora, our friend and broadcast partner, he suggested his former coach, Dean Campos, who has been around for a long time. Dean certainly knows footwork. I mean, Sergio, you know, I mock him constantly, but he had some of the best footwork in the game at the time. It's why he was so successful, both at the contender, then at the championship level against Vernon Forrest, and in subsequent fights on uh, lesser levels. You know, that would make some sense, you know, to go in that direction. But whether it's Dean Campos or somebody else, you know, he's got, to me, he's got to find a guy that's going to say, Ryan, your left hand, your speed, that's always going to be there, man. Like the attributes you, you've, you've acquired at age 24, they're always going to be there. We got to fix the stuff that isn't. We got to go and attack your footwork. We got to make you a better inside fighter. We got to make you a better counter puncher when it comes to clinches and things like that. So I, I just think that's the way he should go with a coach that whose own strengths play to Ryan's weaknesses. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. And 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 if you're looking for um, kind of an indication of what exactly Ryan needs to improve upon, I think that it's best to listen to the guy that just beat him. And, and one thing that Gervonta Davis said about Ryan Garcia leading up to the fight and then after the fight is that his big issue is punch placement. Even before the fight, when people were asking Gervonta about Ryan's left hook, and, and they, they asked him, like, are, are you worried about him landing that left hook? He said, not really, because he doesn't know where to place it. He throws it too high. He aims it at the temple. He doesn't aim it at the chin. And so when Garcia is looking for his next coach, I think that the ideal person for that job, whoever it is, is probably going to be some mixture of a communicator that, that can relate to Ryan on, on the level that maybe Joe Goosen did, but maybe someone that will really hone in on punch placement and really fine-tuning those aspects of his game. So maybe someone like a Pedro Diaz who will really break down his punch mechanics because Ryan is obviously an extremely gifted puncher with his speed and with his power, but if his, if his opponents are saying, hey, he all that's great, but if he doesn't know where he's throwing it, it doesn't matter. Uh, maybe the next coach could be someone that can tidy that up, and maybe someone like Diaz could do something like that for him because that seemed to be, you know, beyond uh, Garcia's own admission of kind of losing his concentration in that fight. The main issue, I think, in that fight is his accuracy. They, they may not be able to turn him into kind of like a, a bouncy long-range jabber. That just may not be in his DNA. But what they can do is keep what he has and maybe just fix up his accuracy a little bit. 
I think this is a pretty big moment for Ryan Garcia. He's got to find a trainer that works and he's got to stick with them. You know, it's never good if you're bouncing from trainer to trainer. Not everyone has to be Sergio and have the same trainer your entire career. But if you're going, and this will be what, when you include his father, his fourth trainer in his young professional career, uh, you want to get some consistency to your game. You don't want to wind up being someone that bounces around and, you know, at Jesse Vargas-like levels. It just never works when you're um, when you're trying to be a high-level boxer. All right. Uh, Ryan Garcia is headed for the 140-pound division. Regis Progre is already there. And there was some reporting over on Boxing Scene this week that Matchroom is going to sign Regis Progre to a three-fight deal. Uh, this is after Top Rank pursued Regis on a five-fight deal uh, to sign him. Now, Regis has been kind of out in the boxing wilderness for the last few years, really ever since he lost in the finals or the semifinals of that World Boxing Super Series to Josh Taylor. He has been kind of looking for his place, made some money in his last fight. Thank you, Marv Nation, and you know, the million dollars you paid him for that. But he has been looking for his own level of consistency in the promotional ranks. I mean, he won that fight against Zapata back in, what, November? Uh, it's now early May doesn't have a fight, doesn't have anything scheduled, so he needed to find somebody to to sign with, and Matchroom was his choice. I thought it was an interesting choice, Corey, because, you know, Matchroom's got some guys at 140. They've got uh, Richardson Hitchens. They've got Montana Love. They just signed Jack Catterall, who is somebody that, you know, Progre has been linked to in terms of a mandatory defense of his WBC title. There's also, you know, Sabriel Matisse is out there uh, as a potential opponent uh, in terms of title unification. Of course, you know, Ryan Garcia down the line, perhaps, because of his affiliation with Golden Boy, that's somebody they could match him up with. But top rank right now has all the guys Regis wants to fight. <laughs> like, they've got Josh Taylor. They've got Teofimo Lopez. They've got Jose Ramirez. They've got Arnold Barboza. Like, they've got guys at 140 that Regis either wants to fight and or has been in public feuds with about fighting. So <laughs> what did you make of Progre's decision to pass on the five-fight deal from top rank in favor of a three-fight deal with Matchroom. Yeah, I guess, like, I mean, it was a curious decision. I, I was definitely surprised um, when I saw that news break. And But whether it's a good decision or not, I guess you could approach it two ways. Like, I, I guess, regardless of what the truth is, the reality is that the announcement of this uh, is... Uh, at least on the, the boxing Twitter timeline, bad PR for Progray right now because he was calling for the fights against the names that seemingly all exist in the top-ranked stable. So to fans right now, they are, I think, justifiably thinking, well, if you want these names, why didn't you go over there so that you could more easily make those fights? And and that's an understandable mindset to have. However, I mean, I don't know what was offered to him by top rank. Well, we know that they were offering him five fights, but let's just say Matchroom offered him like astronomically more money than Top Rank did, then, you know, I guess if you're Regis Progre uh, and you want to take lesser fights for more money, I can't fault you for that. And that's I don't, me I, as a, I, you know what, though, to, to put some in information in there, I don't think it was more money. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Not so what then, I hear yeah. from the Top Rank side. Yeah. I mean, it was a shorter contract, and maybe right. that's what he's looking for flexibility because, look, he's not going to fight, you know, He's not going to fight in a unification fight against anybody the next time right. out. It's probably going to be a title defense. My money right now is probably on Catterall because of the the back and forth between the two. And then maybe you can do a Hitchinson fight. You know, you got Steve Spark fighting this weekend. He just beat Montana Love in a very weird way in his last time out. If he gets a win, <laughs> maybe that's a fight you could take. And then end of that fight, you end of that three-fight deal, maybe you can get uh, uh, Subriel Matias in a unification fight. And then if you have two belts... Maybe you can make more money from top rank if if they're still looking to get into business with you. Yeah, and, and, and I think that maybe, and this is just a guess, right? You know, like I, I've talked to Regis a, a couple of times, but it's not like I, I don't know Regis' program particularly well. But in watching how he's handled his career to this point, you get the sense that he has kind of like a general distrust of the boxing machine. And so what you just pointed out, like the shorter contract... Uh, and the fact that he's created his own promotional entity in, in Rougarou Promotions, like maybe I don't, again, I don't know what was going on in the negotiations. Maybe Matchroom is allowing him to be co-promoter of these events and that was appealing to him. Uh, I've just got the sense that Progre, again, uh, wants to take a kind of alternative path and, and he always has done that. And, and he's saying the right things in terms of the fighters that he wants to fight but he ultimately is making decisions that makes those fights a little bit more difficult to make. And maybe he's thinking, maybe he thought that by signing with top rank in some way, that's giving in 
that by going with the same promoter uh, as the people he wants to fight, that it, in some way that's kind of like giving up his agency. I, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm trying to get inside the head uh, of, of of a fighter here that that I don't know particularly well. But those are those are the guesses that I have. But you know, if it's a three fight deal um, and he makes you know slightly more money for less time, that I could see how he came to that decision. But it isn't going to be one that's popular in the uh, in the boxing streets. That's for sure. No, it won't be. Um, you know, Catterall is fine as a first fight after winning the title. I mean, Catterall at this point, his stock is pretty high, even though the Josh Taylor fight, I think, was seven years ago now at this point, the number of times <laughs> it was. just feels like an eternity ago that those two guys fought that controversial decision. Right, and they and, could at look, least make the argument that, hey, this is the uncrowned champion or something. You could sell it that way, right? And hey, if they can make a Matias fight... You can argue that's the toughest fight for Progre at 140. I mean, Taylor's skilled, Teofimo's skilled, uh, but <laughs> Matias is a tough dude. Like, he is physical, and he comes at you full bore. Like, that's a can't-miss fight. Like, it, it may not appeal to the mainstream audience, but to the boxing purists, like, that is rock'em, sock'em robot. That is a war. I likened it to somebody who was talking about it with me earlier, to a to the fights coming up in July between Virgil Ortiz and uh, Stanionis. Like, not one that maybe resonates with the casual fan, but for the boxing inside or the boxing fan, they love that fight. And I think Matias versus Progre would be the exact same thing. So I think he's not taking... His choice is questionable because all the names he was calling out, he's now wiping them off the table, at least for the short term. Uh, But... He's not taking the the easy road necessarily because if he winds up against Matias in the fall or early next year, I mean that's that's a physical fight, man. That's a tough fight that nobody's out there looking to run to, even with even with that title around Matias's waist. Yeah, I, I think I think I said this uh, the last time I was on here with uh, with you and Jake Donovan that of the reasonable fights that could be made in in the short term in boxing, the program Matias is one of my favorites stylistically. You know, just that mm-hmm. that combination of all-out aggression, super volume puncher versus a, a slick guy who likes to work in the pocket. Like aesthetically, that pleases me more than any other style matchup. Or, or very few uh, that you could reasonably make in boxing appeal to me more than that. So, just uh, selfishly, if that is the result of this, if that can come, I, I'm happy with that. Uh, even if it comes at the expense of some of the other fights that that might be bigger and and, and might involve some bigger names. All right, let's talk about the fight that you called last weekend. William Zapata, Jaime Arboleda. Uh, William Zapata just steamrolled Arboleda, who I'm pretty sure had his retirement announcement already written before he got into the ring uh, with Zapata. Second round knockout, Arboleda had nothing. William Zapata, uh, already known as a high-volume puncher. I thought he showed great uh, discipline to go to the body. Like, that was not not something I haven't seen from before, but once he saw Arboleda hurt, he, he just kept hammering him downstairs, and that was enough for Arboleda, who he was very theatrical at the end there. He was kind of sprawled out face first. You know, I, I, I don't know what to make of that one. Uh, I didn't expect much for Arboleda, but he, he actually didn't even meet my expectations uh, in this fight. So the question is, what is Williams Zapata ready for right now? Um, he's not going to fight Shakur Stevenson. He's not going to fight Devin Haney. Uh, but what Golden Boy is clearly hoping is that at some point in the next six months, Devin Haney moves up, the belts fracture, and William Zapata will be in position to fight for one of the titles. Is this a guy that you see as a future top guy at 135? Is he already there? If a title shot came about tomorrow, would he be ready for it? What were your takeaways from watching Zapata? Yeah, I, I think that I think that the audience probably wants to see him against one because there's kind of a, a second tier uh, in a really loaded division right now with names like Frank Martin and as you know as wild as it to say about a former lineal champion like George Cambosis is probably in that group of of guys that are before the the biggest names at 135 like I think it's a reasonable fight if Zapata were to be thrown in with any of those top guys that doesn't mean it's going to happen but I don't know that you know, a, a fight against a Frank Martin or a, a Cambosis makes him more ready. I think it would make it, especially if he beats them, uh, more marketable to the mainstream audience. But it wouldn't be an outrageous fight for him to face any of those top guys at 135. Like, that they have to fight someone. 
at some point. And I just find him to be a really interesting stylistic test for any of those guys. And, and it, because he has a combination of skills that I think uh, appeals to and, and is understood by even the most casual audience member, even if they don't know who William Zapata is next, you know, say he signs on to face one of those top dogs during the press cycle, as they're getting more familiar with him, they watch the highlights, they watch his fights. You know, even the most casual fan can understand pressure. They can understand volume and they can understand power. And he has that trio of attributes because what does everyone say about any undefeated fighter? They always say, well, what'll happen if they put a guy who applies pressure against him? <laughs> right? Like Zapata is just all out pressure all the time. And there's a lot of nuance to his game as well that, you know, that Sergio and I were pointing out uh, prior to the fight on the broadcast as well. Like within that volume, he's also throwing more jabs than almost anyone in the sport. And, and within that pressure, he, he cuts off the ring really well as well. But I think that he would drag a good fight out of any of those fighters. Even if he doesn't beat them, it makes for a compelling fight when it happens. So, uh, like, I want to see him against absolutely anyone. And I know Frank Martin was in attendance against the fight. He shook hands with William Zapata, and they kind of had some pleasantries. He said, I'd like to fight you. William Zapata nodded and said, okay. He doesn't seem to be opposed to that. Uh, I'm fine with him facing ever anyone, and I don't think it's unreasonable for him to face anyone at this point. No, those guys are one, two in the WBA rankings with, you know, uh, Javante kind of mixed in there as the secondary title holder. So if those belts become fractured after May 20th, you know, that's a fight that the WBA should order right away. Mm. Uh, you know, Frank Martin, I don't know what is, a, is he's kind of PBC, but he's more Errol Spence. And I don't know what his, you know, alignment is, but that's something that could go to purse bid and you know, look, may the best promoter with the most money win. Um, so that's a, that that's I think that's a tremendous fight, and I would hope you know that would happen. I think the IBF belt. I think you're going to see at some point Maxi Hughes and George Cambosis get into the ring. That's something that's probably going to happen in July, I believe. Uh, and they're both uh, top ten ranked in the IBF ranking. So I, I know top rank in buying that fight is which they will do is going to is hoping that you know Cambosis can fight for a title, Shakur can fight for another title, and then those two can fight. At some point, but Zapata Martin might be the best fight of them all. You know, Frank Martin showed a lot in that win over Rivera. Zapata, to me, tell me what you think about this. Like Zapata, he's fun to watch, man. He throws a lot of punches. He's nonstop action. I still don't trust his chin yet. I, I've still, it was like three fights ago in Tijuana where he got dropped, and it was dropped by a nobody in that fight. It was only a flash knockdown. It wasn't hurt, but he got dropped. And then, even though he dominated JoJo, there were a couple of times that JoJo clipped him and he felt it and he took a step back and. I just wonder how he responds, you know, going up against a guy that's probably going to punch with him and has some real power behind it. Because the one guy that Zapata hasn't really faced yet. I mean, JoJo's fine, but he's not a power puncher, especially not at 135. All the other guys, Hector Tanahara, whatever, not power punchers. Um, I, I am interested to see how his chin holds up against heavier-handed guys. That's To me, that's still the unknown. He is a whirling dervish in the ring, and it's fun. And I watch him every time, but... That chin, I don't know if you feel the same way, but that chin is still an open question at the very least. Yeah, that that is, I think, the main question. Uh, it, because you're right, yeah, a couple of fights ago, he was dropped, and you know it was a flash knockdown, but it was a legitimate one. It's not like they crossed feet or anything like that. He got hit and he went down, and uh, you know JoJo had him buzzed at one point, and that's going to happen when you have the style that Cepeda has. When you're going to be in front of a guy all day and you're throwing a million punches, your offense is your defense, and there are going to be holes in it at some point, but. The fact is, like he's he's willing to go in there and find out. He's willing to 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 let his chin get tested. And I think what's interesting again about him is that he he throws so many punches and he cuts such an aggressive pace. And and by the way, speaking of uh, incredible fights, him and Supriel Matias they spar together. And apparently, those sparring mm -hmm. sessions they've been described as like out of this world. So <laughs> I'd love to see the uh, even footage of that, but. He's the kind of fighter that even the most dazzling boxer wouldn't be able to keep him off of them forever. He's going to force them to engage him. But yeah, whether or not he can withstand the power of some of those top guys is is always going to be a question. But he's gonna he's gonna make him find out and 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 that's what makes him exciting. How is I'm just looking at the rankings while we're having this conversation. How is he not ranked by the IBF right now? The IBF has Maxi Hughes ranked. They have uh, 
Dennis Berenchik, Berenchik ranked. They've got Michelle Rivera, who just lost and popped positive for something, ranked. They've got Yoshino, who just got beat by Shakur, ranked. How is William Zapata not... I'll never understand how these sanctioning bodies work and how they come up with these rankings. William Zapata is a top 15 lightweight. At the very least, in other sanctioning bodies, he's top five. He is a top 15 lightweight, um, you know, one way or the other. Look, I, I just... He's not going to get that title shot next. I know they want to keep him busy with Golden Boy. I would like to see them put him in with somebody who could at least crack a little bit. I don't know who that is, but you know, somebody that could, you know, put him in danger with one big shot. Somebody with a chin that could hold up and land one shot. That's what I want to see next from William Zapata. All right. I am headed to Mexico within hours. By the time people listen to this podcast, I will be in Guadalajara for the Canelo Alvarez John Ryder fight, the homecoming for Canelo Alvarez. The first time, Corey, he's fought in Mexico in 12 years. That's remarkable. That you know, the biggest star in Mexican boxing right now, one of the biggest stars in Mexican boxing history, has not fought there in more than a decade. Now, economics, of course, have a lot to do with that. That's why guys go to Vegas. They take the site fee, take all the money that comes with it. But I think it's pretty cool that he's going to be going down to Guadalajara in front of 50,000 screaming Canelo fans and having a homecoming fight. And on the other side, we've got John Ryder, the... Lovable, affable Brit who's got to be walking, I don't want to say literally into the lion's den because it's not, but it's the closest thing to it, you know, when he uh, steps into uh, that arena and steps into that ring. I may be in the minority and people listening will probably accuse me of being kind of a company man, but I don't really have a problem with John Ryder being the opponent here. Uh, Canelo Alvarez fought two major fights last year. He lost to Dimitri Bivol and then he fought the fight that you know, at least in terms of public interest, was the most compelling, a fight against Gennady Golovkin. Uh, he won one, he lost the other, and then it was revealed afterwards that he had a busted right hand. So, was it right hand or left hand? I'm blanking on that. Well, busted hand. Um, and he takes some time off. He has surgery. You're not going to come back after surgery against David Benavidez, that's for sure. And John Ryder, whatever you want to say about him, yeah, he's got five losses. Yeah, he's got a loss to Rocky Fielding on his resume. That sucks. But... He's probably peaking as a fighter right now. Like, he's coming off a win over Daniel Jacobs. He's coming off a win over Zach Parker. Um, he's he's the best version of John Ryder you're going to get at the moment. And a southpaw who can be a little slippery, who probably deserved a win over Callum Smith a couple of years ago. Um, I, I'm not predicting an upset here, but I don't think this is the cakewalk that many are expecting uh, come Saturday night. Yeah, I, I think that there's there's a large gap between thinking that John Ryder can win this fight or will win this fight, and and thinking that this is like a totally outrageous matchup to make, you know. And and also this this carrot has been dangled in front of John Ryder for quite some time, so I, I'm happy for him getting this opportunity. You know, they they've kind of he's been. I think at one point he was even a standby opponent, wasn't he? Like for the uh, the Billy Joe he Saunders was, fight. This was great. Yeah, this was great. He he was in Texas in yeah. a Billy Joe Saunders fight and just hanging out. Like, he wasn't someone that was going to fight on the undercard. He was just there in case Billy Joe Saunders went crazy and left, which, if you remember, Billy Joe Saunders almost did. Like, he threatened to leave if he didn't get the ring size that he wanted. Canelo ultimately was like, whatever, I'm going to kick his ass no matter what. Um, but John Ryder was just hanging around the hotel all week long, waiting for that opportunity. So, you know, this is his mega fight. This is his... Boxing Super Bowl and whatever for whatever it's worth, you're probably going to get the very best of John Ryder. Yeah, and and listen, we see homecoming fights like this throughout boxing history, and it's very seldom are they get against the best possible opponent uh, that is out there. You know, which for Canelo, again, as you mentioned, is either Bivol or Benavidez or Morel or, or some of those guys at 168. And provided he is looking in that direction next, which by all accounts it seems that he is. Uh, I don't have a problem with this fight, especially for a homecoming fight, especially coming off the injury. Now, again, that does not mean that I think that John Ryder is going to win this fight. Uh, it, you know, I, I find it very difficult uh, to see even rounds where Ryder is going to give Canelo too much trouble because I, I think that his style is just perfect for Canelo. Uh, he's not like he's a pressure fighter, but he's not necessarily a volume puncher. Uh, and, and you know, he tends to kind of square up in front of his opponents because that's kind of how he gets his work done is by grinding you down 
round after round and challenging you and challenging you and forcing you to think. And Canelo is not bothered by having to think round after round. And I don't think this is going to be particularly complex for him. I think there'll be routes for him, the land of the body to John Ryder. Uh, I think it's be very, very difficult for Ryder to, to do a whole lot with Canelo. Now, that said, if there is kind of a sliver of hope, uh, if I'm prognosticating, uh, looking at John Ryder and watching him in camp, uh, his physique seems to have changed quite a bit. He looks a, a lot thicker at 168, and maybe if there's a way that he could be even more aggressive than we've seen him in the past and kind of try and bully Canelo a little bit, uh, maybe he can have some success there. But uh, in terms of natural frame, you know, he's not dramatically bigger than Canelo is. He's really a, a 160 coming up to 168 as well. He might have a height advantage, uh, you know, without me looking at the boxer X right now. Uh, but yeah, I, again, happy for John Ryder, but I, I, I strain to think of ways that he's going to give Canelo trouble in this fight. Yeah, he's going to have to hope that, you know, something unexpected happens, I think. Whether it's Canelo not feeling as confident in that left hand as he should or as he has been because of, you know, the surgery, though, yeah, it's been a while and I think he's okay. Uh, or just the magnitude of the moment getting to Canelo and not John Ryder. But uh, I don't see it. I don't know that John Ryder goes out as quickly as Rocky Fielding, but I think eventually... He goes out. I think Canelo catches him. And uh, I look up for if nothing else, I hope John Ryder goes out on a shield because you got to go into this fight thinking you're never going to win a decision. Like, no judge in the world is scoring a fight against Canelo, regardless of how close it is in Guadalajara. It's just not going to happen. So. Yeah. And uh, I, I would say, yeah. too, like, it, it, we've seen this in the past, Chris, a motivated Canelo is extremely yeah. dangerous, right? We saw, you know, it, for different reasons, either because the magnitude gets him hyped up or the, the, the opponents be it Caleb Plant or Billy Joe Saunders, when Canelo gets fired up, he can he can really kick it into another gear. And I think that the moment is only going to embolden him a little bit more. Well, I think he's going to be motivated because for the first time in a long time, you know, we're getting a lot of the Canelo on the backslide. Canelo as he faded. Uh, even Sergio brings this up a lot. And Sergio points to the you know number of professional fights, 60-some-odd fights, the number of years Canelo has been fighting at the highest of levels. A lot of miles on those tires, even though he is just 32 years old. Um, you know, I, I think that will probably fuel Canelo, you know, both in this fight and moving forward. A lot of people out there thinking he's been ducking Benavidez. Give me a break. If Benavidez had not lost his titles twice, he would have already had a Canelo Alvarez shot. That's goes without saying. Canelo, when he was chasing the Undisputed Championship, wasn't looking for specific guys with titles. He was looking for the guys with titles, and Caleb Plant had it. Which brings me to the next point. Um... You know, Canelo will probably have two options after this fight once he gets back into the big fight business. It's a rematch with Dimitri Bivol or it is that showdown with uh, David Benavidez. Uh, I, I would say the Benavidez fight significantly more marketable. You know, you've got two Mexicans, you know, both. Well, I mean, Benavidez kind of outspoken, of course. Uh, you could do a pretty good promotion built around those two. Whereas Bivol, even though you've got the carrot of the previous win, He's very complacent. He's very respectful of Canelo. Uh, maybe you can make it more interesting by saying the fight's at 168, but uh, I am curious to see if Canelo chooses, which way he chooses, because for weeks, if not months, he's been pretty adamant when asked about what's next, that Bivol's the guy, that he wants to avenge that loss. Putting aside, I'm not sure if he can, because Bivol might, might be the perfect opponent for him, in terms of difficulty, uh, you know, Benavidez is is just there. And, and look, I, I think David Benavidez is an excellent fighter, but Canelo will be the favorite going into that fight. What do you think he's, you know, I'm trying to find the right way to frame this, but like what, what's the best option for him, do you think, in September of this year? Like, it does seem like he is really obsessed with getting revenge over Dimitri Bivol. And uh, as you mentioned, it's that's a hard fight for him to win, you know, like he was dominated in that fight and there would have to be drastic changes for Canelo to get his revenge in that fight. For me, the Benavidez fight is more fun. For me, the Benavidez fight is more interesting. And, you know, if I'm kind of fantasy booking this too, one thing you have to consider is that even for top fighters, the hourglass does run out when it comes to how many times you can lose. And fair or not, right? Like, even though Canelo is 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 taking on a, a colossal task in trying to beat a, a, a true 175 in Dimitri Bivol, and, and it's a stylistic nightmare for him, if he loses again... 
you know, like suddenly his his star starts to dim a, a little bit. And and that may be fair or it may not be. But if he goes the other way and he beats David Benavidez and then he goes after Dimitri Bivol, uh, I think that people view his pursuit of Bivol, just the, the public narrative changes a little bit and, and it, it becomes less of, oh, you're avoiding Den- David Benavidez and more it, it gets back to what his pursuit of Dimitri Bivol really is, which is a pretty audacious goal that he has, right? To win a true 175-pound title when he really has no business being up there physically. So I, I think that it would be better received if he went the Benavidez route first and then went after Bivol, but Canelo just seems locked in on on Bivol. And I understand this is the guy that beat you and, and you want your revenge as quickly as possible. But uh, I, if if I had control of Canelo's career, uh, and I wish I did, I'd have a lot more money, uh, it, I, I would do it a different way. I get what you're saying about there's only so many times you can lose. I, I would say sometimes guys just have your number. Like yep. Shane Mosley couldn't beat Vernon Forrest. Uh, Oscar De La Hoya couldn't beat Shane Mosley. Like it's just... You know, sometimes you go up against a guy, whether it's size, style, you just can't beat him. And and Bevel might be that guy. He's bigger, stronger. Uh, I wouldn't say he's faster, but he's accurate with his punches. Uh, it's just kind of a perfect storm when it comes to, you know, Canelo. And look, I, I think what would diminish him some is if that fight took place at 168 and Bevel took all his belts. Uh, not that Canelo is defined by belts, but... You know, losing at 175 is one thing. If Bivol squeezes down to 168 and beats him for the undisputed championship, uh, that would probably tarnish it a little bit more. But you know, look, I, I don't mind. I don't. I don't. I wouldn't think that Canelo would be, you know, diminished or in any trouble career-wise if he lost a second time to Demetri Bivol. He'd have to say, like, you know, listen, let me shake your hand and realize I just I can't beat you. What was that old, you know, Pedro Martinez line about Yankees fans? Uh, Yankees are my daddy. I think they said that at Yankee Stadium. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not that Canelo would ever say that to Dimitri Bivol, but that kind of that kind of thing where it's like you just, you know, you came up against a guy that is just really, uh, really tough to beat. By the way, on that card, Alexander Vostick is back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Vostick back in the mix. His second fight since almost getting his head caved in a few years ago by uh, Archer Betterbiev. I-, I find his comeback fascinating. He's 36 years old. Um, when he retired after the Betterbiev fight, I was a little surprised because it was his first loss as a pro. And I was in Philadelphia for that fight. And look, that was a that was a beating he took at the end. He was winning the early rounds. Uh, but as is with most better BF opponents, he just ate a lot of punches at the end. I think he went on to do some like professorial stuff, teaching. I don't know what he was doing after afterwards. But um, it's interesting that he comes back now. He took a six-round fight. Uh, what was it? Earlier this year or last year. And now he's in a 10-round fight. Um and he's like, I think he's a Canelo Alvarez fighter. I think he's signed to to their promotion or aligned with him some way, somehow. So I, could Vostick be thrust back into the mix at 175? Like, he's still got a name, you know, and used to have a title. Could he wind up back in that uh, world championship mix? I, I think almost automatically, right? I mean, like, if he beats Belotniks, like, because he's a recent former champion, he's going to get big opportunities, and especially if he has the right alignment. Uh, I, I think so. And, and you know, it's important to remember with Bosdick too, um, you know, I don't know his exact reasons for his his departure and his time away. I know um, he did a, a pretty lengthy sit down interview with uh, the folks at uh, at ID Boxing, which I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to listening to. Um, but you have to remember, he went through two kind of not kind of, but very traumatic mental in- incidents basically back to back, both his own loss, but again, the Adonis Stevenson fight as well, right? Like you're dealing with, you know, putting a fighter in paralysis, like, you know, a fighter that nearly lost his life in the ring, and then you go out and suffer your first loss in pretty brutal fashion as well. That's enough to make someone really reconsider the sport, you know? And if that's what was going on, I, I think it- it's uh, totally justifiable. Uh, I totally understand that he would take some time away, but. No, I, I think that especially if he beats Bolotniks, who is it was a tough out. I think this is a, a a nice test for him because Bolotniks is not a fighter who's on the slide or anything like that. He's a fighter who's going to who's gonna bring it, he's gonna he's gonna come to win. And if he can get past him, and as particularly if he can look impressive, those phone calls are gonna come. I, I think that he's almost automatically back in the mix. Now, there might be fighters that you find more interesting at 175, but the name value and the pedigree of Vosdick that's going to get him opportunities almost instantly. Yeah, I agree. Whether it's someone like 
Joshua Buatzi or, you know, let's say Bevel later in the year, early next year, sure. can't get that fight with Better Beev, which seems to be almost impossible to make financially without, you know, the Middle East being involved. If he looks good against Bolotnik's going to win, I think you're right. You'll see him back in a major fight sooner rather than later. Last thing I want to hit you on. Um, just want to give a shout out to women's boxing and Franchon Cruz Desern and Savannah Marshall. I think it's an excellent fight. It's on a card over in the UK. What was it in the, I forget what it is, June? I think, yeah, no, June 17th, I think is the date. Uh, I love it. I, I love that fight. That was a fight that I thought would be a natural one for Savannah Marshall after the loss to Clarissa Shields. She moves up in weight. She's a big 160 already. And Franchon Cruz Desern has been out there looking for a marquee fight for a couple of years now. And here it is. She'll get a good payday. And look, whoever comes out of it is going to be a natural opponent for Clarissa Shields. Who's going to fight and defend her titles. Or, or fight, I don't even defending titles as much. She bounces around weight classes so much. She's going to fight Hannah Gabriels two weeks earlier. Uh, I, Corey, I just think that's a, a great women's boxing fight. Like Women's boxing continues to pretty consistently make compelling matchups. And I love this one. You know, Savannah Marshall going right from the best at 160 to, you know, the best at right now at 168. And, you know, a lot on the line for the winner as well. What do you think? I, I think it's an awesome fight. And, and you know, and, and speaking of fighters that you have to be happy for, like Franchon Cruz to Zern has basically, you know, and, and of course she's had different promotional deals, but like she's really DIY'd her career in almost every aspect. Like she she sews her own fucking outfits. You know what I mean? Like down to that <laughs> point, you know, like Franchon has really gone the hard road to get to places like this. And I'm happy for her getting a fight of, of this magnitude. And this is just a great stylistic fight on top of, you know, this being two of the higher profile women's boxers facing one another. This is, you know, one of the best knockout punchers in women's boxing in Savannah Marshall uh, against uh, someone in Franchon Cruz de Zern that is one of the more, you know, one of the best kind of like pure uh, volume punchers and, and pressure fighters. Like what Franchon does well is create chaos in exchanges, and she typically does really well in them. And that mesh of fighters, uh, I think, just has to produce something particularly exciting. And we've had such a great run of not just great matchups, but excellent fights in women's boxing, you know, be it, you know, Estrada and, and Ruprecht or uh, Alicia Baumgartner's fight or uh, Serrano Cruz. Like we've just had not just good matchup, but good fight after good fight after good fight. And I think that this is just a, another in the continuation of that pattern. Yeah. And it's going to get a lot of eyeballs to it as the co-main event for Liam Smith against Chris Eubank, uh, which is a major fight over in the UK. So uh, even though it's not a main event, it's probably better off being a co-main because that's going to be a full house and that's going to be just a, a lot of domestic eyeballs uh, on that over in the UK. A uh, lot of eyeballs on Corey Erdman this weekend calling the undercard, solo right. calling the undercard for DAZN. Give, give, me, give me a little morsel of one of the guys that you're, you're most excited about seeing on this uh uh, undercard. <laughs> well, uh, I'm gonna go with. Gosh, I'm trying to think of who we have. You know, uh, how about Beckner Magenbet? The uh, the wow, Kazakh okay, sensation. Uh, the super middleweight sensation. He's eight and zero right now. Uh, a power puncher again out of Kazakhstan. World amateur silver medalist as a youth. Uh, and then he medaled at the World Asian Games, which is you know maybe the toughest amateur tournament. Uh, to win in the world, maybe even more so than the, the the Olympics. When you look at the draw that you have to work your way through, uh, they're trying to fast track him, and he's technically in kind of like the main event <laughs> of the uh, of the undercard, so to speak. So uh, this will be our second look at him on the zone. Watch out for him, and uh, I'll try and make it as fun as possible by doing my best Don Dunphy impression, uh, rolling solo. Oh, you're you're such a nerd, and I love it. <laughs> I love it. That was that was the most excited I've heard you in the last hour of this conversation. <laughs> Getting pumped up up for the preliminary fights for the Kazakhstani yeah. warrior himself. You got to love it. We'll catch Corey on Saturday all day long, really, on DAZN. The preliminary fights will be on DAZN, and then we'll go live from Guadalajara. I'll be there with Todd Grisham and my good pal Sergio Moore, provided Sergio survives down there. I think he's already down in Guadalajara already. I think he left on like Monday for uh, the start of fight week. So uh, we'll be down there uh, on Saturday. Corey, appreciate your time, man. Anytime, man. And when we come back, my conversation with Katie Taylor. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved 
about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think he could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest yeah yeah because you gotta think he's gonna guard he don't care about guarding He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Katie Taylor, undisputed 135-pound champion, headed to 140 for her next fight to face Chantel Cameron for the undisputed title in that weight class. That's a fight you can see worldwide on DAZN. So, Katie, what's the difference in training for a fight at 135 pounds and 140? Uh, not much, to be honest. Um, uh, the only difference uh, really is just the sparring partners for this kind of fight, but... Um, we're doing the exact same things. I, I just don't have to cut as much weight this time. I can actually enjoy my food a, a bit more during this training camp. But pretty much all, uh, I'm doing pretty much all, all the same things, really. Um, and so uh, I'm just excited to step in there and, and, and to hopefully become a two-way Unispeed World Champion. You have been almost exclusively 135-pounder as a professional. Um, you had that one fight at 140, won a title there earlier. Um, do you remember what that felt like to to fight at that weight, to fight against an opponent at that weight? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's much of a difference, really. Uh, stepping up and weight, uh, a few pounds here and there. Um, it's very, very uh, different in women's boxing because we don't we don't have that one punch knockout power. So I think you're you're capable of actually stepping up and down the weights. Um, so I don't think it's uh it's going to be much of a difference, really. Uh, I know that Chantal Cameron's a big girl; she's she's strong, but. Um, but I don't think there's uh there's really much of an issue stepping up and weight. So you go you go back to February and Madison Square Garden, you're there, Amanda Serrano's there, they announced the big fight, big video, big everything, big to do for Taylor Serrano part two. When did you know that at least for May that fight was in trouble? Um, I obviously got the phone call from uh, my manager a few weeks ago just to say that the fight wasn't going to happen. And um, obviously, initially, I was, I was very disappointed. I was shocked that, uh, I, that it wasn't going to happen. But um, straight away, we just wanted to be involved in the biggest fights. And, and, and the, the next obvious challenge challenge was Chantal Cameron. She's obviously an undisputed champion. She has a spotless career and a good fan base as well. So this is the next biggest challenge out there. Um I'm just glad that we were able, that we were able to get this fight over the line. Um, it's another huge mega fight, and I have a chance to become a two way undisputed champion. And uh, in my in my my own country, which is uh, fantastic, twenty two fights in. This is my first fight home. Um, this is going to be the biggest night of my career. 
You, you say you were disappointed that the Serrano fight didn't happen, but were you surprised because it just seemed there were a lot of things that made me think maybe it wouldn't, right? She was in kind of a tough fight mm-hmm. against Erica Cruz. She had a cut mm-hmm. above her eye. Um, I know that a lot of people want to see you and Amanda at Croke Park. This next fight's going to be at Three Arena. Like, was there a part of you that wasn't really surprised that it, this fight isn't going to happen right away? Um, I mean, I, I, I really, um, I really was expecting the, the fight to happen. I was obviously in training camp for that fight to happen. My, my focus was was on completely on Amanda Serrano. So obviously, when you get that initial phone call, then your your initial reaction is disappointment and shock. Um, but obviously, uh, the, what what you're saying is, is very very true as well. She had a hard fight, uh, she was cut. Um, so um, I guess when you are thinking about it like that, uh, you, you you can understand um the fight not happening. But yeah, my initial response is like, oh gosh, this is a this is a huge blow. Obviously, um, I was uh, worried that the fight in Ireland wasn't going to happen. Then I was worried that the May twenty date was going to fall through, and um, so all these things were obviously rolling around my mind. And you, Katie, you never call people out, ever. I don't think I've ever heard you, you, know, you single out anybody. But there I, you know, like a few weeks ago, you open up Instagram and you see your account posting about, yeah. you know, fighting Chantel Cameron. You're telling Eddie Hearn to go get the deal done. You're telling Chantel Cameron you want to get the deal done. What what went into that? Why did you decide to go public with that uh, request? Um, I just knew that the, the May 20th day was going to fall through if I didn't do something about it. So um, I was worried that the, the homecoming wasn't going to happen. I was worried that I wasn't going to get a big mega fight that I wanted. Um, so uh, sometimes you have to, I, I'm not I'm not one for using social media, but um, uh, every now and then I, I you have to obviously do what you have to do. And I'm glad that we were able to get that fight over the line. And um, this is uh, not just... We could have really picked an easier fight for for my homecoming, but I wanted to be involved in in this huge fight. Um, you know, undisputed champion versus undisputed champion. This is absolutely huge, and she has the style to make this another epic fight as well. Um, so I'm I'm very very much motivated for this fight. I'm very excited about it, and uh, having a chance to, you know, to come to a undisputed champion, it's huge. Yeah, you you've seen a lot of Chantel Cameron, I'm sure, o- over the years. Uh, a very different fighter than Amanda. Like, how how has that kind of impacted your training? How how have you started to change things up to prepare for Chantel? Yeah, you're obviously working on uh, completely different things now. Um, the sparring partners are completely different. Um, uh, the conversations that myself and Ross are having are completely different in, in terms of the tactics. Uh, so it all is uh, obviously a different opponent, but uh, but that's great. That's okay, and uh, I'm I'm obviously. Uh, I have the ability to adapt, and uh, I'm looking forward to just stepping in there and producing a great performance. This is going to be a fantastic fight. Uh, she has a she's a big, strong girl. She has a great engine. She has a good jab. Um, you know, it is going to obviously going to be a very, a very, very tough fight. But um, I, I just can't wait to step in there. Three Arena in Dublin. Have you thought about what that ring walk is going to feel like? Uh, every now and then, I, I guess I, I think about it, but. Um, uh yeah, I mean it's the the atmosphere is going to be absolutely electric, isn't it? Um, you couldn't hear the bell ringing during during the Madison Square Garden fight, so I can only imagine what this this homecoming fight is going to be like. Um, it's uh it's it's going to be going to be a very very special night for sure, and uh, my whole family are going to be there, even the youngest uh, nieces uh, that they they've never been to a fight before, so they're going to be there as well. Just having a, just even that alone for me is is very very exciting. Um, so yeah, it's going to be such a special night. Are you going, I mean, the, the MSG fight, one of the things I remember was your ring walk. You, you took a, your time getting to the ring. You kind of soaked all that in <laughs> getting to the ring. It was great. It was yeah. like, look, the crowd was there. Everything was electric. Mm-hmm. I would have done the same thing, yeah. but like, do you feel like you'll do something similar, you know, in this moment, you're first in Ireland? Uh, I don't know to be honest. That was kind of a, like a sport of moment type of thing. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't planning on doing that. <laughs> but once I got out there, I'm just looking around at all the Irish people traveled over for all of the Irish flags. Um, you know, it was just a, a special atmosphere that night, and I was just kind of soaking it in. But it was probably the, the longest ring walk in history, wasn't it? <laughs> I have to probably speed up the next time. But it was an amazing, uh, just an amazing moment for me, and just looking at. 
just looking at the, the Irish fans who travel out to support me. Um, sometimes I, I, I just can't believe it. Um, I'm, I'm nearly pinched myself that this is actually happening. That people are actually traveling halfway across the world to actually come and support me. Um, it's, it's absolutely unbelievable. You know, Croke Park in Ireland is what, 75, 80,000 people in that bill. It's a little bit smaller, <laughs> which makes the tickets that much more a hot commodity. <laughs> people want, gotta want those tickets. Yeah. How many, what have the ticket requests been oh. like to you? And how do you kind of, yeah. how do you zone that out, that part of it out? I just pass everyone on to Brian. <laughs> just get in touch with my manager. <laughs> I obviously, um, my, my phone has been very, very busy, obviously, for the last couple of weeks. But um, I, I just can't get involved with all the, the, tick, the ticket scandal. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I feel under pressure with the tickets as it is. So, <laughs> Um, and it's a it's a great uh, problem to have, I suppose. But yeah, tickets are going to be very very limited. People are going to be disappointed, unfortunately. But um, it would have been amazing for the fight to, to happen in a Crow Park kind of venue, seventy five eighty thousand people. Uh, that's their most like, iconic venue as well. But I'm just delighted to be fighting at home, um, and uh, in 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 such a huge mega fight. Well, yeah, I don't get involved with tickets. <laughs> who's the most Who's the most famous person to ask for tickets? Like, who's the person that either in your messages or your text messages, like, sent you a note saying, like, I, I'd like to go to the fight? Like, who's the wow person? Was there anybody at this point? Uh, I don't know. Probably, maybe my manager, Brian, probably has more um, <laughs> uh, more information on that. But uh, not a lot of people have my number, so I, I'm actually quite lucky in that way. <laughs> Um, so yeah, um, for me, it's just all my friends back home are, that are actually asking for tickets and one of them was asking for 10 tickets. Is that a count? <laughs> I mean, not just one or two, but 10 tickets. Um, so it's, it's uh, going to be, uh, you know, people are going to be disappointed, unfortunately, but, um, but the atmosphere is going to be absolutely electric on that, on that night. And I'm just focused on, on, on what I need, I, what I need to focus on, which is the actual fight itself. Mm. Um, this is my homecoming fight, and uh, it has to be a great performance. It has to be um, a great victory, and that's all I focus on. When I asked Eddie Hearn about your future and, and where you might fight, he said, "We're in Ireland now. Why would we leave Ireland? Let's do all our fights in <laughs> Ireland." How, how do you feel about that? Do you you want to <laughs> stay there with all your fights? Yeah, that would be amazing for me. <laughs> um, if we had a chance to, to have all the rest of my fights uh, in Ireland. Um, that would be very very special. Um, I obviously uh have a a lovely dream of fighting in Las Vegas as well. But if I had a choice between Las Vegas and Ireland, I'd obviously choose Ireland every single day. Um, this is my my own country. This is my stadium, and um, yeah, this is a uh, very very special for me. Last thing for you, um, you have you know so many great options when it comes to fighting like mega fight after mega fight you can go into whether it's this one with Chantel Amanda you know you see Alicia Baumgartner at 130 Michaela Mayer who has been circling you for years at 135 now like do you kind of look at your career and say all right I I I want to do this for two more years three more years do you start to think about you know how long you want to keep doing this because you are it's so many tough fights all the time yeah yeah I mean I, I obviously know that I can't do this forever but um <laughs> Uh, I take a fight by fight. I definitely have a few more fights left in me um, at the top of my game. And uh, um, yeah, I feel like people are always asking when I'm when I'm going to retire. But uh, I feel like I, I'm at my peak right now and I feel like I'm fighting better than ever. Um, so um, I, I guess I did just take a fight by fight. But I guess uh, we can have this conversation after May 20th. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Katie, good luck on uh, May 20th. Uh, I will be there and I have been told that the Irish people uh, love it when Americans come looking for their ancestors. In <laughs> all the, so I, my grandfather is from Ireland, so I will have to go look for like Listen, distant second every, cousins. Every American and, says that, don't you? <laughs> I'm from Ireland. I'm from Ireland. <laughs> but it's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, Katie, looking forward to May 20th, live on zone. Chantel Cameron, thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks so much, Chris. Take it easy. And when we come back, this week's picks. All right, time now for this week's picks. And this week, I am focused on the super middleweight undisputed championship fight in Guadalajara, Mexico. Canelo Alvarez 
makes his return to Mexican soil for the first time in nearly 12 years. He faces John Ryder, the mandatory challenger for one of his belts. Canelo Alvarez is a big-time favorite in this fight. He is listed at minus 1,800, according to FanDuel, so not a lot of opportunity there in terms of making some money, but I think it's a very safe bet. John Ryder is coming off the best stretch of his career, but Canelo Alvarez, even at this stage of his is on a different level. Where you can win some money, if you want to put it down, is Alvarez by knockout. I just think at home against John Ryder, a fighter that has been stopped before in his career, I think there's going to be a lot of energy in Canelo Alvarez. There certainly will be a lot of energy in the building uh, on that night. Right now, Alvarez by knockout or TKO is at minus 370. So again, not the best of odds, but if you want to load up on that, I'm pretty sure Alvarez is going to win this fight by stoppage. John Ryder might hang around. He's tricky, and he's a lot better than I think people give him credit for. But I do think Canelo Alvarez eventually gets to him and stops him and picks up the knockout or technical knockout victory in this fight. Those are my picks for the week. Good luck, everybody. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Corey Erdman and Katie Taylor for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. Normally, I would say I'll see you next week, but expect some bonus episodes, plural, later on this week. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.